This is The Blunt Doctor Show. On a Tuesday, my second episode on this Tuesday, recorded one earlier with King Hooley uh, from the Truth Be Told Sports Podcast. You can check that out on the page. Going to talk some NBA here with Rudy St. Clair from the Rusty and Mojo Show in a moment. Um, Going to talk Grizzlies, but real quick, um, just want to say uh, thoughts and prayers out to Jonathan Charks, who is an NBA writer and podcaster at The Ringer. Um, who's a dude who I have like followed and enjoyed his work a lot and he has just announced that he has cancer Um, and he's just a dude who I love his analysis he's funny he's insightful he's always got good shit to say Um, and I just really hope for the best you know Um, it's not a guy that I know personally or anything but just someone that I've got you know I'm putting good energy out there for Um, Charks Everyone loves this dude, so uh, you know, we're praying for you, man. Prayers up for Charks. And now we're going to dive into a conversation with, uh, again, Rudy St. Clair, the Rusty and Mojo Show. And uh, he's at NBA underscore Rudy on Twitter, so you can check him out. And we're just going to talk about some Grizzlies. So let's just go ahead and dive in. And so now we are welcoming in Rudy St. Clair from the Rusty and Mojo Show. We're going to talk about um, some Grizzlies. Got a few questions I wanted to ask him as someone who's more regularly following the team than I am. And then also uh, just a couple other, well, a social issue. As some of you may know, a few weeks ago, um, I went in a little bit on an anonymous person who had a take on trans issues that was not necessarily the greatest take and that person now wants to discuss that so i'm going to go ahead and let you <laughs> dive in on that rudy and let's just we'll go back and forth on this a little bit then we'll hit these grizzlies questions yeah sounds great welcome so, um, to the blunt doctor show by the way <laughs> yeah yeah thank you for having me on um well you know just regarding my dumbassery let, let me just say at the top of everything else you know trans rights that matters as much as any other person's right and so what my dumbass decision to tweet out about trans issues and the idea that people should engage in discourse with transphobic people on on twitter mostly came from a place of just sheer laziness because i was basically just expressing an ideal that i personally would want to try to get at but it was just inconvenient for me at the time so i saw a little community i guess you could call it of people replying under some tweet with like linking articles and stuff like that, justifying their transphobic beliefs. And my thought was just like, man, it sure would be convenient if someone else was in this thread, just like dealing better science back at them and like engaging in discourse to try to change their minds that like, you know, uh, treating trans children is a perfectly valid and good thing that works virtually all of the time. And that people worry about, really really overly simplified and just really stupid ideas about what it's like to be a a trans child especially that you're gonna go down some irreversible course and later find out that you're just gay or just something of that nature you know or even just dare i say confused which is just shit that i hate you know right um you know i've i've been involved with trans issues not on like a deep and personal level though i like question my own cisness a little bit at times it's never been a pressing issue for me personally, but, you know, I've housed trans people who needed a place to stay when they had nowhere else to go, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like something I've 
had a little bit of experience with and something I care about, but my dumbass being like, oh, there should be other people out there doing the thing that I want to do was just fucking stupid, you know, and like treating transphobic people like they have a valid point of view was definitely something that could have easily been taken away from my dumb tweet. Um, but that was not at all what I was trying to say. I wasn't trying to say that like transphobe have a valid point of view and we need to engage in the discourse. What I was trying to really get at was just evangelizing trans rights more than anything else. Yeah. No. And you know, the thing is I'm, I'm with you. And just for the record, again, it's water under the bridge with me. Like I forgive you. It's, you know, I, it, it's, I, I get hot. I say what I think and then I'm done. You apologize. It's all good to me. And truthfully, I understand where you're coming from because um, it is a scenario in which someone does has to step up and say something. My personal perspective on the issue was, you know, it's something that I have to do constantly. Like I have to be fighting this stuff all the time. Like, you know, just by way of example, I was in a work situation where uh, how I dress would change from day to day. Um, you know, how I presented would change from day to day, essentially. And one day I was presenting mail and a group of men were show, had shown up to work. We had volunteers. It was this whole thing. And anyway, they spent the whole day uh, just bashing trans people and all the, and I don't really, you know, I think this was in like 2015 or something. I think something to do with Caitlyn Jenner had spurned them on. In any case, you know, I like had to stand up and like say shit. And so it reaches a point where it's like, I have to launch myself into the middle of everything. And so I don't want to be told I need to do that. I understand your perspective on it. You weren't trying to say that. And that's why the whole thing is truthfully water under the bridge. I will tell you, it is important that we engage on, like, this is something that we should be able to do. I should be able to say, hey, man, bad take. And you should be able to say, my bad, I meant this. And I should be able to say, okay, cool. I agree with that. And, you know, we move on. Because I think acknowledgement that you had a bad take, as a person who's had a million bad takes myself, I've had, I can't even begin to explain the number of bad takes I've had. There have been many. Um, I think the biggest thing is just being able to say, hey, man, this was the wrong take. You know, I, I've, I don't need to sit here and enumerate all the stupid things I've ever done in my life, lest I make someone hate me. But that's the point to me. Uh, you know, bad takes happen. We all have them. We move on. So I don't really think it's a big deal. And I will say, I appreciate the things you have said about what you've done, all those things, you know, again, I appreciate you. And again, you're a friend of the show, water under the bridge. We're all good now. So how about we talk about the Grizzlies? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good to me, man. So this is, an exciting time, um, I would say, to be a Grizzlies fan. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of pretty much everything that the team has done. There are a few moves that I found questionable here and there, but for the most part, I like um, basically everything. The one question that I wanted to start with is this, is, this is just something that I personally perceive, so maybe I'm missing something. I don't know if I'm wrong on this. When John Morant first came into the league, Everyone, basically when he came in, you know, Zion's out. So he's the star rookie at that point. He's explosive. He's throwing down dunks. He's just doing vicious things. And everyone's like, this dude is a superstar. And I thought that that was just the general consensus that this dude was an up and coming superstar. No question about that. Well, fast forward, you know, whatever, how long it's been two years. And, um, you know, there are some people who have backed off on that a little bit. It's well, I think he's definitely an all-star, but I don't know if he's, I don't know about the jump shot. I don't, you know, and I think all of that is it's premature stupidity. He's too young to be making all those kind of judgments. But I'm curious, 
is am I just getting that from national media people who aren't paying attention? Is that the sentiment around Memphis at all? How does how does Memphis feel about Ja? Is he the one that everyone in the city has always felt he was, or what? You know how how has that perception changed or stayed the same essentially? Yeah, well, my perception of John Morant has been pretty limited uh, prior to the draft. I remember very distinctly going to a draft lottery party. And when the Grizzlies were revealed to be in the top four, you know, that was very exciting. But when the numbers were rolling in and we realized that we were getting the number two pick, I was very excited, but I probably would have been twice as excited if we landed number one, just because the only real dude I knew about in that draft class as someone who's not a draft nerd in particular was Zion Williamson. Like you said, you know, bona fide lock of a superstar type of guy, but jaw, I feel has the potential to be a better player than Zion. I think he's a currently better player than Zion. And a lot of that is because I just significantly value uh, what a quote unquote point guard does. Basically just if you handle the ball and control the flow of the offense, especially to the degree that a guy like Jaw does, I think that is something that a doesn't really show up in the box score very much. And B is basically immeasurably valuable. Because the whole offense runs through jaw. I think that he's absolutely special. There's no getting around that. You can watch him and just see that he pops off the screen and controls everything going down on the floor. I've had a lot of discourse with my co-host, Jacob and Muhammad on the Rusty and Mojo show about whether or not he is or is not a quote unquote superstar. And they have a little bit more narrow of a definition than that. Me personally, I like to be a little bit more fluid with the meaning of words you know like i don't really think that having some super concrete definition of what is and is not a superstar is really very useful but what they will concede more often than not is that john morant at least has the it factor whatever that is Mm -hmm. and i think for me that's probably the closest associated trait to superstardom than any other thing just because when you have that it factor and you have the ability to control the pace and flow of an offense the way that John Morant does, not to mention the explosive highlights and just like the ultimately very excellent fundamentals, like being a great passer, not being a total numb nuts on defense. He's not good on defense, but he's not a liability per se. Right. Zion uh, is. <laughs> right. Zion is just outright bad on defense. Yep. He's not a naturally great playmaker. You know, he's a guy who's going to score incredibly efficiently and that has its value, but Zion doesn't control the offense. They don't give it to him and say, go, you can do that with John Morant. And so I think John has the potential to be one of the best of all time. Maybe not like the greatest point guard of all time. You know, he's not fucking magic Johnson, Mm. but he is someone that I think could be like a Chris Paul who can fucking slam at home. You know, Chris Paul is obviously a way better defender. Uh, but if you look at the numbers, especially, uh, and you use the per 100 to adjust for the new pace in the league, John Morant and Chris Paul have damn near identical statistics. John is a slightly better shooter, <laughs> like in terms of field goal percentage. Uh, he doesn't make the threes at the same rate. And Chris Paul gets a few more assists and twice as many steals. But I, I think that they're on a similar path. And without a summer to improve, John Morant has still 
noticeably improved by carrying this team to a similar record to last year without the second best player on the team at his side. Yeah, I think the evidence is there to suggest that John Morant is a bona fide superstar, probably at some point going to be a top five player in the league and is already virtually a lock pending catastrophic injury. Right. He's going to be the greatest Grizzly to ever play. So it's, it's very exciting. And it's funny that you mentioned Chris Paul, actually, because I was actually going to say, I, I know that they play an incredibly different style just because Chris Paul is a mid-range shooter and Jaws, you know, get to the rim explosive. But those are, that is the player comp I would make in terms of controlling the offense, just because, you know, I, I've obviously watched a lot of Chris Paul over the years. You know, I mean, it's hard not to. He's on national TV all the time. He's in the playoffs, all these things. But coming to Phoenix this season, you know, obviously I watch, you know, every single second of every Phoenix game. And so it's just a different – it's so different watching a guy who – it's about moments, right? Like when we need a bucket, you know, a guy like Chris Paul or John Morant gets it. They find a way to not let the gap get larger. When – we've got to stop the bleeding and, you know, we need a bucket or we need to steal. They're always there. And it's almost more about the, the plays when they make them so much as like you said, it's like, it's not a superstar does not necessarily mean, Oh, this guy scored 25 points. You know, I don't, I don't view it that way. And that's why I think it's valid that, you know, Chris Paul has gotten into the MVP discussion just because of, you know, what he has done for Phoenix. So I, I largely agree with you on John Morant. Do you think that, um, you think that the Memphis fan base mostly feels the same way as you do, that he's like the one as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. I'm not like deeply in tune with the Memphis fan base as a whole, like Grizzlies Twitter isn't exactly popping off. (laughs) I don't have like a ton of Grizzlies fans that are friends. You know, I have a few, like uh, the guys at fast break breakfast are people that I'm relatively close to as far as like online relationships go and half that podcast is compromised of uh, or composed of uh, Grizzlies fans. And they're all super high on job, but they know his flaws. You know, they're realistic about him. They might not be as eager as I am to say that he has the potential to be a top five player in the league. But I think if you bring that down to like top 10, top 15, he's, they're probably going to come around. Yeah. And I think you're right about that. Yeah. Cause as far as media that loves uh, John Morant, the only one I can think of is Chris Vernon and he works for the Grizzlies. So that hardly counts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, Verno is um, awesome. I love, I love Verno, but I mean, he works for the Grizzlies. So we, we always have to temper what he says just a little bit. He, he did say that John Morant was, and I'm quoting the most electric basketball player on the planet and like over LeBron James over. And I was just like, all right, man, let's, let's, let's settle that just a little bit. Yeah. Um, There's a little bit of hyperbole in that, but you know, he he could make an argument and convince me. Honestly, he might get. He, he might. He pops off the screen. Just he's, like he's no dunks. one else his size that has probably since like Allen Iverson or Stephen Curry in a totally different way. You know, but his he dunks just absolutely are pops. They're awesome. Like he, it is thunderous. He is fun to watch. I love him. Um, sort of similar. I okay. So this one is I'm gonna be. I'll be a little bit more defensive on this one, um, because when again I'm not a I'm not a huge you know NBA draft guy either, uh, but you know I pay attention to the top five and I certainly pay attention to it when my team is there. And so obviously when DeAndre Ayton came out, I know that I, I, you know I'm not gonna I don't want to relitigate the whole Luka Doncic thing. That's not what it's all about for me. But everyone on like draft Twitter was you know oh you got to take Jaron Jackson Jr. over DeAndre Ayton. You got to take Jaron Jackson Jr. over DeAndre Ayton. I never agreed with that, and I still don't. Um, and I think that especially given how well DeAndre Ayton has played on defense this season, that DeAndre Ayton is a more impactful player. But 
people will disagree with me. That's neither here nor there. Let me ask you this question. Given the injuries that have gone on with Jaron Jackson Jr., um, do you think that stuff is still justified? Do you think he's still going to be, or did you ever think he would be better than DeAndre Ayton? Do you think that? What's your, how do you feel about Jaron Jackson Jr.? Is he the right long-term partner for John Morant? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think he's definitely a, a great long-term partner for John Morant. I think that with his skill set, it's worthwhile to keep investing in him. I think when his rookie contract inevitably expires, that we're going to max him out without a thought. Yeah. You know, that would and, be my assumption. I just, I don't know what injuries I, right. I never because know. It's, it's both of his knees, you know, he's coming off the surgery on his left knee and right. then earlier in his career, it was a lot of right knee stuff. So there are concerns there. Not something that like I really fret about terribly too much because a lot of his game isn't exactly explosive, sure. um, but it's uh, has a lot more to do with high skill type of stuff. He doesn't really depend on his athleticism. He is athletic and like an underrated athlete at that, you know, especially when you look at casual context, like his 2K speed rating is like towards the bottom, but like he's fast as fuck and can dribble really well, you know, especially for a guy his size. He's kind of like Anthony Davis in that regard where he has like guard skills, uh, right, but right. they fly under the radar for sure. And little things like his rebounding, I, I, I wouldn't really consider that a concern just because he spends so much of his time away from the rim that it's just inevitable that his rebound numbers are going to be low. The only problem that I really have with Jaron is that his defensive potential is so much higher than his actual current defensive ability that it's right. going to take a few summers of reading tape and practicing really well some good coaching and ultimately just figuring out how to stop fouling. I believe his fouls have gone down in the past, you know, a uh, few games that we, that we've seen him play in, but it, it's really something of concern because it's just little easy preventable shit, like putting your hands straight up instead of like towering over a guy at an angle and yep. inevitably getting a foul that way. And that's it's, the, that's the stuff with eight and two is grabbing a rebound and then bringing the ball back down to your knees. And it's like, no dude, just go right back up. You know, it's cause Aiton got to the game late. And so his technique is still, you know, he's still working on it. So I totally, uh, I, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And as far as like, would I consider Jaron a better future prospect than Aiton? I would say, you know, maybe, probably. I think that he has a lot of potential as a power forward first and backup center second, mm -hmm. just because he does play away from the rim so much and he's not a naturally good rebounder that I think having a guy who can play next to him and gobble up his misses is something that's really useful. Uh, and having him at that tweener four spot where he's going to be playing perimeter defense almost as much as he's playing interior defense. That's something that's really valuable. And if he can figure out how to be elite at defense on the perimeter, on the interior, the rebounding stuff isn't really going to matter so much because everything else is there for him. He's not a playmaker, but he can score in a variety of ways. Sure. He can dribble, he can shoot, you know, he, is a really, really good guy to put next to jaw, especially because they're like best friends. I mean, they fucking love each other. And I know that's not exactly on the court analysis, but I think that sort of thing matters a lot. No, it does. And I, especially, I mean, look at Denver, like, I, you know, ja, uh, 
multiple people at ESPN have essentially sort of confirmed that like any sort of talk of trading Jamal Murray for Bradley Beal was like quashed by Nikola Jokic. Like there was never any way because they're so tight and there was just no way, you know, he loves Jamal Murray and that was never going to occur. Um, and I, I'm, I'm with you. So do you think then I'm just, because, because I hear so many comps for everything. Do you, do you think like a, JJJ is maybe what Porzingis was supposed to be or what Porzingis could be when he's healthy. Like that's kind of where he's going or that would be like his top end, but an actual good Porzingis. <laughs> right. Right. Cause I mean, Porzingis, a, a rapist B, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, has not lived up to his potential at all. You know, I like to joke and say that he's just seven foot three, Tim Hardaway jr. You know, he's really nothing too special. But they both get called unicorns because they're very comparable players and that they're uh, athletic giant people who can shoot. Sure. Uh, but I think he's more athletic than, uh, than, than Portzingis is. I think that he's a uh, better human being <laughs> than Portzingis is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the idea that he's what people thought Portzingis would be at his peak is a, a very legitimate comparison. I just don't think that people ever thought about Porzingis as a defender, uh, whereas Jaron came into the league with people like uh, Jacob uh, from my podcast um, saying that he has the potential to be the greatest defender of all time, you know, just mm-hmm. because of his skill set. Right. But we're not really seeing that trajectory quite yet. However, I think with, again, a few summers, some good coaching and a few small adjustments that he could be, you know, one of the best 20 defenders of all time, you know? Um, so then the, you said he would be good with someone next to him gobbling up misses and things like that. Is, is Brandon Clark, he's first big man off the bench. Is that his sort of destiny? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I see it as basically when whoever our starting center is, uh, Brandon Clark is going to come in and fill in those backup minutes, whether it be at the four spot or the five spot, doesn't really right. matter. You know, right. positions are just names. They don't, they don't really affect sure. very much Yeah, because yeah. It, it doesn't feel intuitive, but when you play Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson jr. Together, it's really more like Brandon Clark is the center and Jaron's still the four just because uh, of the way he plays on offense. Right. Know? Right. Yeah, He's gotcha. a, a fantastic paint protector. I mean, I don't want to say that he's like Draymond Green because like Draymond Green is like on another level, but in regards to his ability to protect the paint at a smaller size and without like incredible wingspan, excuse me, or anything like that, you know, Brandon Clark is legit. It's really sucked to see him fall off a cliff in terms of his offensive efficiency this season. Yeah. Uh, But his defensive feel for the game is top notch. And uh, I think after the NBA sort of adjust back to being more normal and not this super condensed, weird schedule, you know, post COVID that we're going to see Brandon Clark uh, start ascending and not plateauing at his rookie uh, peak, because I swear I would probably never, ever, ever seen Brandon Clark miss one post move or one putback in the paint. <laughs> I mean, the dude, just has incredible touch on offense yeah. and he's a, a pretty good rebounder, you know, gets a healthy amount of uh, offensive rebounds, just a couple of game, but you know, that's really all you need. Uh, he's not like JV who's getting like four or five offensive rebounds a game, but yeah. he's uh, still a good rebounder, pretty great defender. And his offense is uh, 
definitely a positive. If he could add a jump shot and some dribble moves, then I think he's going to be here for a long time or at least be really good for a long time. Yeah. He's one of those guys who, you know, he's a little older and everyone was sort of like, oh, you don't want to draft an older prospect. And it's just like, dude, he's good at basketball. <laughs> like, you know, like right. sometimes it just matters if they're good at the game. Um, you mentioned JV and that's really kind of the big thing, right? Because I mean, what a good time for him to be averaging so many. I mean, he's having yet another great season. He's really been underrated the last couple of years, truthfully. This is not just this year. You know what I mean? He's been, I mean, it, really, since he's been traded to Memphis, he's been infinitely better than he really ever was with the Raptors. And um, But he's older. You know, he's on a slightly different timeline. I still think some of the timeline stuff is stupid. Like, we're like... Well, these guys are in a different timeline. They're not the exact same age. So we sit and sign them. And it's just like, are you trying to win or are you not trying to win? Because like, I know that the Bulls move for Vucevic hasn't worked. And, you know, people have mocked them for the timeline stuff with that. I get it. But I just think keeping your team good is never bad. So do you, do they intend to keep him? Do you think they should keep him? Is it one of those things where it's all about the dollar? And if someone goes stupid, we're not doing it. Yeah, I mean, if someone is willing to overpay for JV, I don't think we should get into a bidding war for him. Um, I don't remember when his contract expires. I think he's got at least another year after this one, but I could be wrong. Uh, But his game isn't one that relies on athleticism at all. Um, So I don't think the timeline stuff is really a big concern. I think he's a decent fit next to Jaron. I think he's proved to have some chemistry with Ja. But I'm just not a huge fan personally, so I wouldn't be mad to see him go because I think you could get a guy who does 80% of what uh, JV does for 20% of the price. So if you need to. So you're not. Yeah, and you're right. He's got one more year left on his deal. So you're you're not interested in like you. Know, that's not the long term pairing you want to see with the Grizzlies. Like you you you're more interested in finding someone else, or at the very least not paying him whatever kind of money. Right. Like if we can get a hometown discount and keep him around for like Dylan Brooks level money, then I'd be cool with it. But if we're looking at like, you know, 20 million a year, I would hope that it's a short-term deal with like a lot of non-guarantees and like a team option and, you know, just like a a good 20 million a year or whatever, because he, he could be worth that. But the way that he's just a bona fide drop big, is not really uh, very scalable to winning at the highest level in the modern NBA. Mm-hmm. And so while his box score is, you know, fat, it's full of rebounds and points. Um, there's just not a lot more to his game beyond that. He's a defensive liability. He has, uh, you know, really, really shitty hands, which is a weird thing for an NBA player to have, but like he can't catch the ball. And it's funny because one of the, promotional materials that the Memphis Grizzlies produced mm-hmm. was Jonas Valanciunas themed oven mitts, which is just so appropriate, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so uh, I like to say he has concrete feet and oven mitts for hands, which is not something I want long-term, but like I said, if we can get them for a fair price or even a bargain, I'd be content with it. You know, I'm like 60, 40 in favor of, separating ourselves from JV. Like if we traded him in his expiring year for, let's just say one first round pick and like 
one middling role player. I'd be so cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, his last deal was three years and 45 million. So, I mean, it might be one of those things where they just like offer that deal again. And if you won't take it, then it's like, well, um, I, for him, it's, a, you know, it's a good time just because there's going to be a lot of stupid teams. There's just a lot of expiring deals in the next couple of years. And so many guys have signed extensions. You know, it's really interesting because the free agent market is sort of, I mean, for this summer, almost completely dried up of all the top stars. And it's going to be interesting to see if that continues going forward. Cause if guys are concerned about future revenues and the pandemic and securing the bag, like free agency might start to <laughs> become, you know, a little bit more of a barren wasteland. It'd be really interesting. That would be a little bit closer to what NFL free agency is like. You're just spending money to spend it at that point. Um, right. For sure. You mentioned Dylan Brooks before we talk about, um, coaching or anything like that um how do you feel about dylan brooks like he's someone who for me like every time i watch dylan brooks like every time he plays the suns he fucking scores 25 and hits eight threes and i'm just like losing my mind um and he's one of those dudes who just sometimes you're like oh my god this dude has it and then some nights it's like i don't know he's just not even there like his his shot to me i don't know i've never been in love with it um i just i've I've never been super high on him. Um, and, but it some people are, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on Dylan Brooks? Well, if you asked me like 18 months ago, two years ago, you know, when Dylan Brooks was coming off of that, like 20 game stretch off his rookie year where he was putting up like close to 20 a game or something sure. like that, you know, as a second round pick, that's pretty notable. But in spite of that, I was really, 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 really low on him. Because every time I watched him play, it's just like, all right, this guy's just like taking dumbass shots early in the shot clock that he doesn't fucking make. He fouls like a motherfucker. You know, it's like, what's the point? This guy's just a generic scorer, whatever. But over the years, he's progressed enough to where those shots are falling often enough to where it's just more impressive than anything else. And his defense is solid to good. Uh, He's not a great defender by any means, but he tries really, really, really hard to the point where he's like one of the most fouling players in the league. And I don't think that's necessarily a horrible thing. My thing with Dylan Brooks is that I just wish more than anything else that he would come off the bench, but finish games, be like a Jamal Crawford in that way, or a Lou Williams, a guy who you can expect to come in and just be electrifying with bucket getting when you need him to be, but not put him in that starting lineup just so you can get more chemistry with the guys who need the ball in their hands more like John Morant, like Jaron Jackson, right? Like the fact that he takes away from some of our best players sometimes even in the fourth quarter, it's a little bit frustrating, but it's starting to feel like more often than not, the shots are falling. They're stupid shots. He takes a lot of mid-range shots, a lot of heavily contested shit. He works early in the shot clock very often, but the fourth quarter in Memphis is just Dylan time. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty exciting, even though he's not even close to being a star level player, but he gets the buckets and again, decent to good defender. Uh, I kind of like Dylan Brooks now, like I said, two years ago, hated the guy you could have told me that we traded him for a 2025 second round pick and i would have been like good but (laughs) now (laughs) it's like you know for the money that we pay him and the role that he uh serves because we don't really have a lot of shot creators on the team like he's the only guy on our team other than john morant of course who can really make his own bucket like he doesn't 
need the flow of the offense to work through him. It's just like give him the ball and say go score, and you know half the time he'll do it. <laughs> it's and right. it's it's pretty good. He's a, a good three point shooter, which is something that we need next to John Morant, who is a a guy who has some of the worst spacing in the league. I mean, the amount that Jaw drives to the paint and has four defenders in his way is fucking ridiculous. Why don't the Grizzlies believe in small forwards? That was one of my other questions. Seriously, <laughs> just seriously, organizationally, why does this organ like is this ser- like seriously like I okay like I, I'm like is this like some sort of okay everyone else is stockpiling wings so we're not going to have any like I just don't <laughs> I've never understood this and it's a problem every single year and it doesn't get resolved and i don't i i just i don't get it like i don't get it like i just like having a wing to shoot a three in the corner seems like it would be very helpful a lot of the time and i but organizationally just no we don't do that why why i'm holding you personally responsible for this question right now right which is fair because you know <laughs> i make the executive decisions in the front office naturally well, there uh, are <laughs> enough people working for the grizzlies that that might actually be true okay i don't even know how many people work in that ownership group and front office structure so that might be true i don't even yeah. know but seriously there, there's something fishy going on in our, in our front office like we got way too many guys in the payroll for sure oh, i mean no. even our our old gm still technically has a job in the scouting department which i think is just like us paying him off to like be quiet about whatever funny business we may do he's been hired <laughs> and fired like four times as yeah, gm yeah. he's been in and out and in and out it's the most ridiculous organization right but but i mean on I the right track organization well right yeah, it's like, on the right track now <laughs> right ever since we hired zach Kleiman and drafted john morant things have been looking up uh Kleiman knows how to leverage assets as good as any other gm in the league i mean I want to see Danny Ainge turn the <laughs> trade exception that he turned into Evan Fournier, which he he could have done what Kleiman did with the Mike Conley exception and gotten like a dozen assets. You know, like when we first traded away Mike Conley and got like a 30 million trade exception, I was like, oh, man, maybe we can get Andrew Wiggins for free. <laughs> you know, like that was my idea. But Kleiman had a had a better plan in motion where he just he turned Mike Gonley into probably over a dozen pieces. I don't know exactly every single piece involved in that. But regarding small forwards, I mean, it's pretty much just Dylan now. But ever since we traded away Rudy Gay at the deadline in 2013, <laughs> we've gone through about 20 small forwards. And like, I will give you a cookie personally, like hand deliver it to you. If you can name even half of the small forwards we've had since 2013. I mean, see pond Dexter. That's one there's, there's 20, including Dylan Brooks. So if you can get 10, like the cookie for you. (laughs) (laughs) Was Tayshaun Prince since 2013? Yep. He was the the Rudy Gay (laughs) follow-up along with Quincy. Wasn't, no, Jeff Green was traded there in 2012 as a power forward, right? That was nope. No, <laughs> he, he he's he's on there. Oh, he's on the <laughs> list. Okay, see, I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm not bad. Yeah, I'm 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 knocking off some of this list here. That I it's it's just it's an itch. It's a it's a wasteland position for them. It's just really it's 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 like the New England Patriots receivers last season. It's just like there's nothing. It's just the weirdest. <laughs> it was the weirdest yeah. thing. I mean, Jay Crowder has probably been our best small forward since sure. oh, gay, which is fair. ridiculous. I mean, the dude is like a a fringe top 125 type player in the league. Like he's good, but he doesn't make as many shots as 
he uh, could possibly justify with the amount that he takes. I mean, I haven't watched very many Suns games, but when he was in Memphis and a little bit in Miami too, the dude just shot a little bit more than he should, which is fine, but it's definitely not good. Um, his, his professionalism on defense has really helped with the young guys and his he's the only dude on the team aside from Cameron Payne who can make like a wing you know he loves that kind of wing elbow three you know mm-hmm. like the yep. least efficient loves shot it. in the game he <laughs> loves it and but he's the only guy on the team again with campaign who can make them so uh, those shots are open in the flow of the Suns offense quite a bit so it works but I have always felt like he should be a better shooter than he is but it's like dude you need like what, like two more inches of arc on that shot. Like you just need, you know, you just need that little <laughs> right. bit more, and then it'll, and it'll. It's the same thing with DeAndre Ayton, man. I'm, it drives me nuts. I'm like, dude, I'm like, just a little more, just a little more, just, just, right, just flick some, flick the wrist, just a yeah. little bit. Come on. Yeah. What about and, Taylor uh, Jenkins? I, I like Taylor Jenkins, but I haven't liked him as much uh, lately, uh, just because his rotations have been very questionable. Uh, D'Anthony Melton needs more playing time to mm-hmm. the point where, like, I think that he might have like a personal beef <laughs> with D'Anthony <laughs> Melton. Um, I mean, the, him and John Morant are like one of the best two man lineups in the league. Uh, definitely, I think I'm not 100% sure, but like, definitely one of, if not the best two man lineup on the Grizzlies at the very least. Um, and they barely fucking play together. I mean, he's like a backup point guard when really he's more of just like an undersized wing and his de- Melton's defense and his shooting is excellent. And his uh, feel for the game is pretty good. Doesn't make a lot of turnovers. Um, and like, I don't know if this guy counts as like a small forward, but Bane, Bane's pretty good. But yeah. ultimately, my problem with TJ is that he just doesn't do the rotations very well. Like he set a good tone in the culture. He's developing our players pretty decently as much as the head coach is responsible for that, I guess. Mm. But like he's proven to be a decent coach, but I am under the impression right now that like we're going to hit a certain ceiling where his rotational problems are going to get in the way while we're in like a serious period of success. Mm. And then we're inevitably going to have to let him go and move on to a more established coach because he's one of the youngest head coaches in the league. Um, So He's good, but not great. I like him, but I don't love him. I would like him more if he didn't start Grayson Allen for some fucking reason and didn't give Tyus Jones DNPs just because he wants to play Justice Winslow instead, who's fucking not good, frankly. Like, I wish he was good. It would have been cool to turn Iguodala into someone that's good. But whatever, man. Yeah, I mean, that... The the Justice Winslow thing that was yeah I mean everyone was like oh this move is going to be incredible and it hasn't hasn't really you know borne fruit at all um, I mean Winslow is one of those guys who like like he's it's like his name carries more weight still from college than you know he's ever yeah I mean he's he's a Duke boy Kleiman loves Duke yeah. so like I'm surprised he hasn't whispered into TJ's ear to play another Duke guy. Uh, Tyus Jones, you know, who's like probably my second favorite player on the team. I mean, I fucking love Tyus Jones. Dude just makes zero mistakes. Yeah. The I, the interesting thing about DeAnthony Melton, like I loved him with the Suns, like because he his rookie season, um, he was like mixing backup point guard minutes with Jamal Crawford, and like 
you could just go look at the numbers. And every time Jamal Crawford was on the court, like the Suns were getting slaughtered on defense and, you know, Melton was doing a good job, but like, and I don't know why this hasn't been like reported a lot. Devin Booker fucking hated him. I don't know. Mm. Like what, I don't know what their beef was, but like there was one game where Melton made like two mistakes in a row and like, just he, he made one turnover and then he didn't take an open shot that Booker wanted him to take. I think And Booker like went over to Igor Kokoshkov, who was our coach at the time and screamed. He was like, get this motherfucker out of the game. Like he, so that was the funny thing is everyone framed that whole, like, Oh, the Suns had to include D'Anthony Melton to salary dump Josh Jackson to Grizzlies. No, 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 no. While that was a great trade for the Grizzlies, the Suns absolutely were getting rid of D'Anthony Melton because Devin Booker did not want him on the team. And they did a horrible job of the asset management. I'm not trying to excuse that. They did a terrible job of, well, you have to pay us to take on Josh Jackson. Well, then just cut him. Don't give up D'Anthony Melton for nothing. Like that was... I, I'm, hey, I'm not, hey, you got Javon Carter, who's dude, like a C dude, plus D'Anthony Melton. <laughs> I, dude, I fucking love Javon Carter. Honestly, I love him so much. I know that he is not perfect, but when he comes in the game, good things happen. He just plays so fucking hard that, like, I swear, it like makes the other dudes around him be like, "Oh my god, I gotta play harder now." He's like one of those dudes who, like, his energy just electrifies it. And the other thing that's awesome about Javon Carter is whenever I say good things about him on Twitter, his mom retweets me because she's constantly searching for his name during the game. Because that's sweet. yeah, it's fucking fun. I love Javon, but no, I, it is funny because De'Anthony Melton's a very good player. The Suns had him and literally just dumped him because you know the franchise player didn't like him, but um. You know, I'm not surprised to hear you say that about Taylor Jenkins, honestly, because we have that happen a lot, right? Where the A to B coach is not the B to C coach, right? Uh, right. C being championship. Um, right, right, right. Like, like Kenny Atkinson, man. Oh, the Nets did him dirty, man. Didn't even let him coach the team. Fired him midseason. Like, I guess that's how yeah. you handle that, though. Um I, I saw recently that, like, Lou Williams was praising Kenny Atkinson for his development regimen in Atlanta, which – I think it's cool. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting to see guys still thrive in a role that they had previously been in, even after kind of suffering a demotion. Cause he did a lot for that Nets team when they were a yeah. modestly good team before they decided to do what they're doing now. Yeah. So shout both, out to Kenny Atkinson. He's, both he's he and coach. both he and Jacques Vaughn deserved a chance to coach the real Nets, not Steve. The Steve Nash thing is just such a dude. Oh my God. I could just, the Nets, I, I just, I kind of hate this whole, like we're going to do basketball by committee thing. It's like we have 18 different head coaches and we have 36 former players and we have three franchise players and we have two more franchise players who aren't franchise players. Anymore. I just, it, I just, I don't know. It's, I don't like have a functional problem with it. It's whatever, but it's just goofy to me. Like all the, it's too many cooks. Anyway, we're not talking Nets. Whatever. Fuck the Nets. Who cares? Yeah, um, fuck the Nets. Fuck what, the Nets. <laughs> what does this team need in your mind? Like, what is so let's so let's say that John Morant and Jared Jackson are um let's say they're the big two, right? So what's the third piece? Like, because and this is my this is just me through my son's glasses. But the first thing that I think that would be like a perfect fit for this team is someone like Mikhail Bridges, who is a defense first, you know, shooting wing who doesn't need the ball, who, you know, is going to fly around, work off cuts. Like they need someone of that sort of 
uh, ilk. Am I wrong about that? Do they need more of a secondary ball handler? What's your, what, like, what's the third piece to this? Right, right. Now, me personally, I don't really believe in the common NBA theory that you build around superstars. Like, I know it's something that has proven to be true and successful year after year. Mm-hmm. But I think it's mostly because any alternative is never really explored. It's just more of a tradition that everyone sort of dogmatically goes with. But I'm waiting for there to be a team that pays like everyone on the roster a pretty similar amount, you know? (laughs) So I I don't really want a third star per se. If I had to pick one, I would love to see Lonzo Ball because that – secondary playmaker is something that's really valuable getting jaw to be able to uh you know make like cuts at the basket and just catch and dribble one time and do some fucking sick layup or you know catching lobs or whatever is is a good way to utilize his talents for sure lonzo is a uh, very up and down shooter but like ultimately is proven to be a pretty decent one at the very least solid defender again great playmaker and having him be our uh, two guard or or small forward of the future is uh, something I would like to see. Huh. My understanding is that he's entering restricted free agency this summer, and yep. we are one of the only teams that has cap space. Uh, we got about $27 million, more or less, of functional, practical cap space. And so I think that would be money well used on a guy like Lonzo Ball. But if I had to do anything, I would rather see a balanced and uh, fair roster construction kind of a la the 04 pistons um like two years ago i did like a whole fucking youtube video about how like they're the exception to the rule but like it's really not a rule at all that you need a superstar because the 04 pistons are just one case that pretty much proves that you don't need a super dominant player you just need a leader and john morant is unequivocally our leader probably going to be a superstar someday. I think he is a superstar. And so if you can just build around that in a, uh, a very cogent way, whether it be through a third star, whether it be through developing a deep roster, then I think that we'll have success no matter what. Hmm. That's interesting. So you, you wouldn't, let's say that through um, whatever means of, I don't know, you, you land a number three pick, right? Mm-hmm. Are you like looking to trade out of that and take two or three bites at the apple? Or are you like, are you like, if you get a number three pick in this year draft, you're not throwing away a chance at Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green, right? Like, I mean, I guess not. Like, traditional wisdom says not to. But I think that the volatility of the NBA draft is something that gets really slept on in terms of valuing assets. Sure. Like, Josh Jackson was the third pick, right? And he looked like a guy who was going to be fucking uh, 80% of what fucking LeBron James is coming out of college. I mean, he dominated at Kansas and he dominated in high school. So it only made sense to assume that he was going to take that skill set and eventually maybe dominate in the NBA one day, but just like, nope, didn't happen, (laughs) you know? And uh, I just, I don't want to take that kind of risk. If I were in that position as uh, Zach Kleiman or, you know, if I use my 1% stakeholder in, in the Memphis Grizzlies decision-making <laughs> powers that I apparently have, um, I'm trading not just down in the draft, but I'm trading that third pick for a tangible asset that I know is going to be good. 
Like, even though the timelines don't really line up, I would sooner trade the third pick for like a Bradley Beal than take a Jalen Suggs, even though he's like 28 going on 29 or something like that. And probably going to decline by the time that we're in like a championship window. Having a guy like Bradley Beal there is a lot more valuable than trying to create this perfect storm of youth that all meshes perfectly together. Because that's just not something that happens often. Let me ask you another one. This is, I'm just interested. I, I, I'm pretty sure I know what your answer would be, but this is just something that came to my mind. So I'm just curious. It wouldn't happen this summer. It would be next summer. So let's say that the money shifts around just right. And that uh, I, based on, I'm thinking in my head, I feel like they would still have a slot left next summer based on the, um, the offers that would have to go out to Ja and, uh, and JJJ. So let's say through the magic of money, they have a slot or through sign and trade, whatever the case may be. Zach Levine, the new mm-hmm. and improved Zach Levine, who is, I watched a preseason game this year and I was watching him and I was like, what's going on here? I was like, this dude is playing well and it is carried on through the damn season. And uh, what about a dude like that? I'm just curious, just, just a bucket, just a walking bucket to add to everything else going on. Like, again, I know it doesn't, I know you're not a three stars guy, but I'm saying something like that occurs. What do you think? I mean, yeah, uh, a quality player like Zach Levine, you got to lock up if you get the opportunity, right? So yeah, I'd be super happy with Zach Levine being on this team. You know, he's not an excellent defender by any stretch, but walking better than he used to be. Yeah, for sure. He's, He's not a bona fide, horrible, majorly negative player anymore on, on defense, but he's still a liability more than a plus. Um, but that doesn't really matter when you have a good team defense uh, and like a, a decent scheme from your coach. You know, if you got triple J to back you up as a help defender, it doesn't matter if a guy's going to blow by you. Right. Right. So it, it matters if you got like JV there, who's, you know, not really going to be able to do much other than just hope that the guy coming at the rim runs into you, uh, you know, but you got a guy like triple J backing you up as a help defender. doesn't matter if you're a Zach Levine level perimeter player, that, that would be a super fun backcourt, uh, right. especially in terms of just dunks. I mean, Jesus Christ, you, yeah. you got John ja Morant and Zach Levine running out in the fast break. I mean, it's going to be lob city, right? Yeah. I mean, that'd be fantastic. So and, I'd be and- super happy with that. And I think it, I think it would because I think that JV would expire, and I think there would be a theoretical way that it would work. Now I don't think Levine is necessarily going anywhere. I think the Bulls want to make him their um, franchise player. But I just think it's you know it's an interesting thought. Um, all right, one last question. Let me throw at you here, and I'll let you go after this extremely long discussion. This this podcast is hard, man. I bring people in, I put you through the ringer, and then I throw you aside. That's how it goes. Um, yeah, just use me like a rag. It's fine, <laughs> dude. That's. Oh. You should hear how many people have said that. All right. So <laughs> get myself in trouble. Um, this is just more of a, oh, you know what? This. How do you view Grizzlies ownership? You're happy with management. Are you happy with ownership too? You like Michael Para? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Para is awesome. I, uh, I think he's uh, probably the owner, the only owner in the NBA who's just like, a dude who loves hoops, who just happens to have a ton of fucking money. Yeah. I mean, the most iconic um, moment of Grizzlies ownership was when he challenged 
Tony Allen to a one-on-one, <laughs> you know, the dude like shoots around in the practice facility wearing a shooting sleeve, you know, like the dude is a hooper <laughs> or at least a fan. So like, you got to respect it. Right. Like I don't, I, of course it sucks that the NBA is run by the, the ruling class billionaires sure. or whatever, but you know, if I had to pick one, <laughs> it would yeah. be this one. So yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with him. That's, that's the thing I, 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 hit on a lot on this podcast is I would love it if we lived in a utopia, but we don't. And considering that we don't, what do you think of your owner? <laughs> you know, that's it. So like, I, I hate Robert Sarver. I have hated Sarver for a long time, but everything he's done in the last two years has been very good. Like he finally seems to have learned his lesson. So I got him at least give him credit for that. Um, so that that's good. I mean, I, yeah, I would really love it. I've said this a bunch of times. I would really love it if the players of the teams, but that's a whole discussion for another day. Um, Conley, Gasol, Zebo, Tony Allen, they all get their jerseys retired, right? Yeah, I don't know. If, Did, if they don't, we riot. <laughs> yeah, right. That's uh, it's all four of them, right? Yeah, okay. I no, I yeah. thought so. I'm just I'm just asking because I I because yeah. Tony Allen hasn't already had his retired. I know he retired a couple of years no, ago. No, technically not. In fact, we actually gave Andre Iguodala his jersey number. Oh even my though god. he never met with the team. I actually have an Andre Iguodala jersey. Oh my god. <laughs> a Memphis Andre Iguodala jersey. I'm very I didn't proud even, to own it. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Oh my god. I I did not even make that connection. That's so funny. Oh my god. Well, talk about the disrespect. My God. Right, right. Like the jersey should not exist. I just um recorded a video that I uh was planning on editing like before this podcast. I just didn't get around to it, but it'll probably be up like tomorrow or something like that, where I just kind of went over my NBA jersey collection and just that one is just by far the funniest one. Because like it just shouldn't exist by any means. The dude never even joined the team, much less touched the floor. The dude has a number that is spiritually retired, just not officially retired. Um, so yeah, it's just crazy that this number nine Memphis Iguodala jersey even exists. And I'm a proud owner, a proud owner of a five XL uh, Andre Iguodala Memphis Grizzlies jersey. Five so. XL. No. Oh yeah, it's it's a dress on me. I, I, it's oh a whole my look. God. Oh my here, god. Here I'm, I, I'm on video chat. Let me show you right quick. It's, it's in this closet right behind. Me. Oh my god. Yeah, let's get this. Is this is an incredible thing? A five XL. Andre Iguodala Grizzlies jersey. Now, I'll, he's going to get it right now. This is truly an incredible thing because a 5XL jersey might actually fit me. Holy shit. This is that is yeah. one of the largest things I've ever seen in my entire life. That is gigantic. Right. Number believe, 9 Iguodala, 5XL. I believe that's what they use to cover Connecticut when it rains. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's uh it's what goes over the Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh ceiling when they when they uh, want to close it from the rain that is but, true uh, the only thing that might beat that is like a new jersey uh swamp dragons jersey that might oh, be yeah. the, only, the only thing that could uh i think some of those exist don't they i think Dude, i don't know they, i you they, the nets almost became the swamp dragons at one point and i'm fairly certain that they actually produce swamp dragons memorabilia what a ridiculous thing for them to have done yeah um, i mean if they didn't do it officially then it probably happened, you know, at, at like a fan level. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm you sure know. someone made it somewhere. Um, any last thoughts on the Grizzlies? Any other things you wanted to just add or, you know, what your outlook on them is in general? Um, I mean, I think in the next couple of years that we are going to see championship potential. Uh, John Morant's a bona fide superstar. As long as Jaron stays healthy, I think we're going to be in good shape. Um, our 
management and ownership is solid. You know, I, I'm very comfortable as a Grizzlies fan. It's a really great organization to be a fan of because we haven't really seen very much failure. Like, sure, in the very beginning of being the Memphis Grizzlies rather than the Vancouver Grizzlies, there was a little bit of struggle. But ever since the grit and grind era, uh, there's pretty much never really been a down period. And mm. we rebuilt without tanking, even though, you know, you might be able to say that in the final years of Conley and Gasol that we did indeed pull a tank job. Um, but it, it wasn't something that was not super a, severe. Not a 76ers hinky style tank job, though. Like right, a right. It was more like, a oh, no we're out of good players, <laughs> you yeah, know, that happens. Like that's, that's why I believe that the NBA rewarded us with a number two pick uh, for being a, the second smallest market in the, in the NBA and, and B for not pulling a tank job when every NBA analyst said that we should, it's like, Oh, the grit and grind era is clearly past its prime trade. Everyone be bad, get good draft picks, but no, we didn't do that. Uh, we just stumbled into being kind of shitty for one season and it got us John Morant and Brandon Clark. So it's a good time to be a Grizzlies fan. Um, let, let me ask you this. Uh, do you have any more small forwards that you think you can name <laughs> since okay. 2013? Okay. All right. Okay. So Grizzlies small forward since 2013. All right. Uh, um, uh, oh, God. Uh, Xavier Henry? He was pre twenty pre thirty or or he played shooting guard and he didn't make it onto my little list here. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so okay. Um, I can't believe Tayshawn Prince was on that list though. Um, right, <laughs> just dying old man Tayshawn Prince. <laughs> Vince Carter. Yep. Okay. Um, um, I said Quincy Pondexter. Um. God, um, you guys didn't have Solomon Hill, did you? We no. did have Solomon Hill, but technically he played power forward. He played us. power forward. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. So Solo is a, a great player. I love does, Solo. Does, uh, does Andre Iguodala technically count? Is he on the list? Is he? <laughs> Be- because he never suited up, basketball reference never lists him as Memphis Grizzly. But. Uh. Yeah, I, I I would count it personally. So call the list twenty one now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we're and we're counting Justice Winslow as not a small forward, but a point guard, or I don't know what the hell he, he is. Like. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a small forward according to Basketball Reference. Yes, so okay. I'm going to keep calling him a small forward. Okay, so there we go. So there's another one. So Justice Winslow. So what am I at right now? What's that? It's like seven uh, or eight. Yeah, I believe you're at five. We got Tayshawn Prince, Quincy. You said Jeff Green earlier. Yeah. Vince Carter. Yeah. Justice Winslow. Yeah. I think that's all you said so far. I've inflated my own numbers. Are we counting Desmond Bain? Uh, he's a shooting guard. He is a shooting. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Which, by I just... the way, Desmond Bain, I was so fucking excited when we drafted him because Jacob, you know, arbitrarily chooses one prospect to follow along with and kind of grade as a, uh, as a non-draft guy, but as a, uh, quote unquote NBA analyst or like professional fan or whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Desmond Bain was his guy. And so when we got him at the end of the draft, I was fucking thrilled, but man, he is such a unitasker. All he can do is shoot. He's great at it, but he is terrible at everything else. Dude is a turnover <laughs> machine. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, uh, I, I, uh, I, 
We're going to see what I'm, I'm not calling the Jalen Smith pick a bust yet because James Jones has proved me wrong too many times. But uh, I mean, anytime you pick a player in the top 10 and he basically never sees the floor for you in his rookie season, I think that's indicative of certainly something. Now, granted, Jalen Smith had COVID for a lot of the year, so it's hard to judge. I don't know mm-hmm. if he was ever really healthy, but yeah, uh, it's we'll we'll see how that one goes. But yeah, I never hear any anything but good things about Desmond Bain. Okay, yeah. all right. Do I have any more? I'm I'm trying to think if I can. I'm not sure. I I may be my my. If you're forgetting at least brain. one big one, one big money guy. Oh oh um uh oh geez um uh, Max or nothing motherfucker um God what's his name <laughs> Chandler Parsons yeah Chandy yeah. P yeah to be oh, confused with God. P oh God man what a sad like. That's Awful. just sucks. Just, oh, dude. I mean, at least he's pretty, you know? <laughs> yeah. His life is fine. He got a hundred million dollars. What does he care? But you know right. what? Uh, yeah, that one. Yeah. God, I, yeah, I can't. Well, I mean, it's not difficult to forget that one because he basically never played, but uh. <laughs> I mean, I, I got two Chandler Parson jerseys on clearance from the FedEx forums memorabilia store in 2017 uh, during game six. Like just walking out of the stadium, I was like, "Oh, these are on sale! It's like forty dollars for two jerseys." Sure, <laughs> so I got like a MLK edition jersey with Chandler Parsons on it, and a uh, a white home Chandler Parsons jersey at that draft lottery party. Actually, I was wearing both. I had the white regular basketball jersey style underneath the jersey, and so when we drafted or when we got the second pick, I like took off the top Chandler Parsons jersey to reveal another Chandler Parsons jersey in my excitement. It was a very good bit. <laughs> the, the room loved it. The double, the, the du- you pulled a double Parsons. I love it. That's, right, right. that's no one. No one expects the double Parsons. No, it never expected double Parsons. <laughs> um, so what's the rest of this list here? I'm going to, I would see what I missed. All right. All right. In chronological order, we got Tayshawn Prince, Austin Day, if you oh. remember, who, you know, seven foot small forward who should, couldn't do anything. Should have known. Should have remembered <laughs> yeah. that one. Right. Uh, Quincy Pondexter, yeah. uh, Grizzlies legend Mike Miller, who <laughs> holds multiple records for us. <laughs> um, James Johnson, before he was good. Jeff Green, James Enos, or Ennis, however you want to say it. Um, Matt Barnes, who I love. Oh, I uh, forgot PJ Harrison. Right, right, yeah. Uh, my my header on Twitter is the famous Matt Barnes quote that um, violence is never the answer, but sometimes it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love, yeah, Matt Barnes is NBA Twitter gold, man. Absolutely. Um, PJ Harrison, um, who I'm almost dead certain doesn't play basketball anymore. Uh, Vince Carter, Chandler Parsons, Troy Williams, who I don't know who the fuck that is, but he started 13 games for us. <laughs> Never heard of um, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mike Buckets Henry. Um, no idea who he is, but he played 18 games for us. Man, uh, or, <laughs> um, and it's Mike with a Y. And uh, Basketball Reference says that his nickname is Buckets. So good for him. Um, CJ Miles, uh, slow mo, of course. Although oh. he's more of a power forward now, but he played small forward for many years. That one I should have known. That should have got. Yeah, yeah. Slow mo is great. Like he should be in the top five voting for most improved player. Cause like, it's not super visible on the floor or on the box box score, but like, man, he's even better than he's ever been. He's one of those dudes who has a basketball IQ through the roof. So yeah. I just, I, I also, I should, I need to correct this behavior in myself. 
But basketball IQ is such a fucking problematic phrase because it alludes to the validity of IQ at all. <laughs> right. And so like, I really need to stop saying that. Yeah. We need to, um, yeah, we need to come up with like a new, I don't know what uh, he's got court swag. I have no clue. I don't know. I'm not good at coming yeah. up with names for things. So I can't, I named right. my show the blunt doctor show. So like, I don't, you know, like it's I mean, Hey man, it, it got my attention on, on Twitter in the, in the very beginning when I first followed, it was like, Oh, the blunt doctor definitely following. I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying it didn't take a long time to come up with the name. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right. So um, we got Omri Caspi as well. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yuta Watanabe, who was mm-hmm. the only Japanese player in the league until, um, until Rui came in. Uh, Josh Jackson, of course, uh, oh, Jay Crowder oh, and Sean McDermott, who has no relation to Doug McDermott. It's like surprisingly, I thought he was just Doug McDermott's brother, but no, totally different McDermott. Huh. So <laughs> and, I miss uh, I miss some notable Dylan ones. Dylan, okay, yeah. So I missed some notable ones there, including ones that we discussed on this podcast. So that's pretty terrible on me. But <laughs> no, again, no, fine. again, I just I consume a lot of weed, and during the show, I consume weed, so it's it's not my fault at all. So yeah. <laughs> where um where can we find your other show? Where can we find your videos? Tell us about your stuff. Plug it for me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active among all social platforms, you know, NBA underscore Rudy. Uh, I do a weekly podcast with my friends, Jacob and Muhammad, who have much more successful NBA platforms than I do. Uh, It's called the Rusty and Mojo Show. Uh, Those are their internet names, you know. So uh, I was blessed enough to be brought onto the show after just kind of being a manager of the channel for a while. Um, So shout out to them. Those are some of my better friends online for sure and uh i i make my own youtube videos and you can just find that at rudy st Clair, or just google hustle points because i made a podcast for a year maybe two i, I you know i came out with like 40 episodes or something like that and most of that goes into like the behind the scenes type of stuff as far as like the indie nba youtube scene you know like in sports journalism on a small scale is like my passion and so i kind of interview guys like um uh, you know like like jacob like muhammad and lots of other guys too mm-hmm. and kind of get their story as far as how they came to start like nba youtube channels you know problems and successes and, and all that fun stuff lots of mm-hmm. lots of good info in the hustle points podcast though i don't make it anymore I look forward to sort of relaunching the brand, if you will, eventually mm-hmm. as trying to kind of be this. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the right verbiage to really go with here. At first, I wanted to go with the idea of it being a nonprofit, but like nonprofit kind of has a sticky connotation to it that people don't like where it's just sounds like I'm manipulating you into not thinking that I'm making money off of it somehow. You know, the whole nonprofit industry is very corrupt, so I don't want to <laughs> go with that. I'm I don't want to go bring with employee you, owned because I don't want to we are, have employees. We are I'm bringing you on this show people. one day. We are bringing you on this show one day. And I am just going to let you go off on tangents about all of the things that are corrupt because, <laughs> because you there, I, you, there's a couple of things that you have told me are corrupt. And I want to hear more about them. And we're, we're going to do a, we're going to do an episode where you just tell me what is corrupt. And I will just sit here and agree with you. Cause I want to listen to it. <laughs> uh, so sorry. I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're really, no, 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 you're, you're perfectly good. I'm, I'll be, happy to come on any other time for real Um, this has been really fun um but anyways as far as like the hustle points brand is concerned 
my ultimate goal. And this is something that probably won't be realized for like another five or 10 years or whatever, but I want to build up my own platform that, you know, surrounds around fucking myself, of course, but then eventually just kind of give that away to people who are more deserving of it than I am. Um, people like not Zay on Twitter, people like uh, Noah Terranova, just like people who are younger and more aspirational than me have an even stronger passion for creating independent sports journalism content. And I just want to have like a, like a gonzo style sports journalism outlet where people can come on and get paid to have a fair share of the platform because so much of the sports media scene relies on people working for free for years until they build up a reputation as a decent writer and then they get like staffed at some outlet or whatever which is like not a good model for the people at the bottom of the pyramid scheme that is fucking capitalism right and so i want to kind of invert that flip it on its head a little bit and give people the opportunity to not just like get a leg up on a platform that hopefully i would have built up by then but also get paid to do it and so i'm trying to launch a show that's sort of like a uh last week tonight type thing kind of like a like a some more news type of thing Mm -hmm. where i just like really focus in on one story a week one topic and do a a good job deep diving that and sort of uh elaborating on it from a a crypto political perspective you know like i don't want to like be very forward like about like oh i'm pushing communist propaganda through sports here but like that's kind of what i'm doing <laughs> you know like so i'm, what I'm, I'm doing to... oh, socialist propaganda but nonetheless <laughs> right right so like and you know that that stuff is really important to me so just look out for uh, a hustle points website i think i'm trying to lock down the domain of hustlepoints.news and eventually just gonna start putting people on there to uh have better and more thorough sports opinions than I do. That's awesome, man. That sounds like a really great idea. I'm excited to see that come to fruition. And as you go further along, we'll talk about it some more. And uh, especially, um, you know, if the Grizzlies do, you know, end up getting in or whatever happens with the play-in tournament or whatnot, we'll have to talk some more about this because I get a feeling that these playoffs are going to be fucking awesome. So, like, I'm yeah, really the season's excited. been awful, but the playoffs are probably going to be good. Yeah, the tournament's I, interesting. The, yeah, I mean, the, this is yeah, it's been a tough year with all of the, you know just the number of guys out and COVID and everything else and the crushing schedule. It's going to be nice to get back to normalcy and have not 85 back-to-backs next season. Um, Right. Especially if you're Memphis, just because like, I mean, like this is like some conspiracy shit, but like it's shit, I believe. So I'll let it fly. But like, I legitimately believe that the NBA has conspired against Memphis post COVID because we had like a 10 game delay or something like that. So we're getting a really, really dense end of season schedule. And it comes down to, at the end of the year, the Warriors, who are, you know, one of the most money-making entities in the NBA, who are on the fringe of being in the playoffs at all, uh, are going to have like 12 straight days at home to end the season. Like they don't have to take a road trip for two weeks at the end of the year. Meanwhile, Memphis, who is in a similar position to them in the playoff standings, have like seven games in 10 nights or some shit like that, you know? So like the NBA does not want Memphis in the playoffs. And I fully expect Stephen Curry to, you know, win that, that play in tournament for Memphis to end up in the lottery one more time. Maybe they'll bless us by giving us a top 10 pick or something like that because every draft lottery is rigged, but it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm content with it. I mean, they definitely, 
I mean, they they set up the bubble schedule last year to get the Pelicans into the playoffs. The Pelicans just choked really hard. I oh, mean, yeah. that that was literally was true. I mean, I don't even know that they would necessarily deny it. They they set the schedule up so that you know the the Suns like went eight no, but played like none of the teams that were ahead of them. And that that's one thing that always drove me nuts is like we had no opportunity to control our own destiny. So they certainly fuck with the schedules, but. Um, yeah, we're going to have to go into the lottery rigging one day. We're going to have to sit here and do an entire episode on lottery rigging because I'm just, I'm going to just, I, I want to hear it all. <laughs> right, from, from Ewing to, to Zion, <laughs> every lottery is rigged. <laughs> from, from, from E to Z. The <laughs> Precisely, yeah. Oh, um, man. Th- thanks again for having me on. I, I really appreciate you so it. much, bro. I had a great time. Um, and uh, again, you're welcome back on. I'd love to have you. We'll talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. No problem, man. Peace. And that is The Blunt Doctor Show. Do me a favor. Share this episode with someone because we talked about some really important stuff at the top. I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's on all of us to take positive steps in our community to make the world a better place in any way that we can. Um, Rudy did a pretty good job. Um, you know, explaining how he wanted to advocate for trans rights in this episode. Uh, And I think that's a really great thing. And I would love for anyone to kind of hear his perspective on how he felt about all that and where our whole, you know, beef and discussion came from, how we got over it. I would love for anyone to hear that. So, um, you know, this is a special episode to me to share. So anyone who, um, you know, wants to do that, I appreciate it. Like, rate, subscribe. And until next time, which who the hell knows when that'll be because I do whatever the fuck I want. I am out. Peace.